0: Imagine you're at an airport and you've just had an amazing conversation with the person sitting next to you. You've led them to the Lord and they are now professing faith in Christ. You're waiting for your plane. The gentleman next to you who you've been talking to is waiting for his plane and you're going in different directions. In fact, the gentleman's about to go to a remote part of South America where it's impossible to get packages to him very very rare would he ever receive a letter there's no internet connection this is it this is your time to invest in this new convert and you have about an hour till his plane leaves you have about an hour with this new convert let me ask you what would you say to him if you had that hour and you know that it has to count every word is precious in your now discipleship of this gentleman what would you say I'd like to take some time to answer that question as to how I would approach that what I would say in that situation what a glorious opportunity but it is beyond simply the gentleman that we're talking about it's it's really a, a question of what would we want any new convert to know there are things you would want him to know about the Lord, about serving him, walking with him, and what that looks like. Now, in that situation, I would normally have my briefcase with me, which would contain my Bible. The first thing I'd asked this uh, gentleman, let's call him Tony. Tony, do you have a Bible? If the answer was no, or he had uh, a suspect Bible, one that was not very, very helpful, I would give him my own Bible, and that would be the ESV, the English Standard Version. Let's say he's an English speaker and he can read English. I would put the English Standard Version of the Bible in his hands. I would give him my Bible. Uh, The Bible alone is the Word of God. That's what I would be saying to him, and this is God's book. Every word is precious and inspired by God. If I could, I would give him a study Bible, the English Standard Version Reformation Study Bible. The reason for that is the helpful notes. Notes are never inspired. They're simply notes, helps, at the side of the page or at the bottom of the page that would explain many of the verses that the new convert would encounter. And I know that people can be steered the wrong way by means of study notes. But it's also true they can be steered in the right direction. And I believe it would be so profitable for that young convert to have the English Standard Version in the Reformation Study Bible. I would put that in his hands. And that's what I would say to any Christian. Get yourself a good study Bible. That's the one I most recommend. I would also, because I would have my briefcase with him, uh, with me, I would give him the confession of faith that we hold to the 1689 london baptist confession of faith in modern english now i would put that in his hands and i would tell him this is what i believe is a faithful summary of what the bible teaches the bible alone is the authority but this is an authority that i believe faithfully sums up what the bible teaches That's so important, that would be so helpful to give him uh, the confession of faith, the London Baptist Confession of Faith, what I hold to, that would outline in clear terms who God is, uh, what the Bible is, the Holy Trinity, the person of Christ. And I would emphasize the fact that Scripture alone is the Word of God sola scriptura is the latin term but he can forget that and still go to heaven but the concept is this scripture is the soul s-o-l-e the only infallible rule of faith for the people of god so why would i give him a confession of faith then well one of the first things out of the gate in fact the first thing out of the gate in terms of the confession of faith i hold to is the fact that it proclaims the bible alone as to be the word of god and therefore every other doctrine comes out of that recognition stems from flows from the recognition that the bible alone is our authority it has the authority uh, authority to bind the conscience to use the words of martin luther it alone has that right this is god talk this is god speak this is the very word of God. Uh, Guardrails. I would talk about uh, an incident in my own life. I remember one of the scariest moments of my life, being in a car while I was driving, trying to navigate a very, very narrow road around a high mountain in the Swiss Alps in Europe. It was uh, a harrowing experience. There was a rickety guardrail that alerted all the drivers as to the edge of the roadway, And that would inform us where solid ground ended and where beyond that rickety guardrail, certain death awaited. The guardrail had no real power to stop a car from falling over the edge. It certainly was not reinforced with sufficient material or substance to in any way stop any kind of vehicle. Yet, both back then and now today, as rickety as it is, it continues to serve all drivers seeking to maneuver around the mountain. And to dismiss or disregard the guardrail as a useful source of information is really foolish in the extreme. I say that because in a similar way, historic creeds and confessions of the church, while not infallible, are immensely helpful to us they really are and so i would put both the bible and a confession of faith in tony's hands and say read your bible but also read this as a helpful guide as to what the bible teaches i would encourage him then to be reading his bible uh, to be reading if he was starting to read the bible for the first time the gospel of john you can't get better than that as to a faithful uh, summary of the life of jesus explaining who jesus is truly god truly man beginning at the first verse in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god i would speak about the fact that that verse by itself uh, mentions two persons the word and god And yet the word is god and right there we have what uh, other verses will draw us to see is the concept of the trinity the bible teaches that there's only one god there's only one god but that one god is eternally the father the word or the son of god and the holy spirit other verses would speak of the deity of christ acts chapter 5 is one of them when ananias and sapphira uh, lied regarding their commitment their offering Uh, peter said you've not lied to men you've lied to god and then he said you've lied to the holy spirit the holy spirit is god I, i would encourage him to read john's gospel over and over to see jesus as the bible proclaims him The other gospels of course too matthew mark luke but if you're starting probably start with john then i would encourage him to read the book of romans which is the most majestic outline of what the gospel is and the gospel is the revelation of what god has done for us in the person of jesus who he is and what he has done and we have been in desperate need of a savior because we're sinners. And sin is uh, violating a known boundary. It's called trespass. There's a boundary, we've walked right over it, and we've gone where we shouldn't have gone. We've done what we shouldn't have done. That is the sin of trespass, transgression, overstepping a boundary. But there are also uh, sins of omission. There are sins of commission, what we do, sins of omission, what we do should have done but didn't do one of the ways to understand the uh, reality of sin is the fact that God commands us to love him with all our heart soul mind and strength every fiber of our being every woke uh, waking moment we are to be delighting in God glorifying God in word thought deed and even motive but we haven't done that. Martin Luther was once asked, what is the greatest sin? And his answer was enlightening. He said, well, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Therefore, the greatest sin is not doing that. And that's where we're all guilty. And Romans chapter 1 makes it very, very clear that the anger of God, the wrath of God, which is God's righteous reaction to that which violates his holiness that anger is against the human race in total god is angry at the human race the wrath of god romans 1 is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness we know that there's a god and we have not worshipped him have not served him but in, in fact made our own gods up either creatively by the means of wood and metal and glass we've formed a God or else we've formed a God in our minds a God other than the God of the Bible and we've descended in a spiral of idolatry we are idle factories in terms of our human hearts as John Calvin once put it our heart is bent on doing the wrong thing and of serving someone other than the true God, either ourselves or someone else, but not the true God. The religious person, Romans chapter 2, might look down at those who are idolaters and say, well, that's not me, and that is them. However, what Romans 2 brings out is the fact that though we have the law of god as religious people the fact that we have that law does not mean that we've kept that law and that both jews who had the law of god and gentiles who didn't are both under the anger of god because of sin and that's what is summed up in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the early part of chapter 3 so that all of us are under sin all of us of us are under the judgment of God because of our sin. Romans chapter three and verse nine. We are all under sin, all being both Jews and Gentiles. That covers the entire human race. There's none that seek for God. There is none that do good. Not good according to God's definition of goodness. Loving him with all our heart. Every action of our life flows out of that, that wonderful delight And treasuring of him that's not true of us and we are sinners and we're not sinners merely because we sin we sin because we're sinners since Adam fell in the garden and chose the evil chose sin everyone born after Adam was born with Adam's sin nature the nature we get from adam and we are under condemnation not only because of our sin but because of who we are we are rebellious bent on not serving the true god so what's the good news well that's what starts in chapter 3 verse 21 the fact is by the works of law law keeping no one will ever be in right standing with god but in the gospel The righteousness of God has been revealed. The Lord Jesus Christ has kept the law. What God demanded, only Christ fulfilled. He fulfilled the law of God. He lived a sinless life and then died an atoning death on the cross. And that's brought out in chapter 3, verse 21 through to the end of the chapter. Jesus Christ is the Savior. And because of what he did removing the anger of god from us his people all who trust all who repent and trust the savior believe in christ are redeemed their sins are forgiven and the righteous life of jesus is credited to their account that's the wonderful good news romans chapter 3 brings it out chapter 3 verse 28 makes it very, very clear that it's not by our works that we're saved, but we're justified, which is a wonderful term. And this is what I would tell this new convert, Tony, understand this word, justification. It's God's declaration of anyone who trusts in Jesus and believes him, believing the gospel, that Jesus was born of a virgin the second person of the trinity born of a virgin lived a sinless life died an atoning death on the cross rose again from the dead you believe that tony yes and he's right now at the place of all authority in in this universe so that anyone who calls on his name will be rescued from the anger of god that they deserve because jesus took that anger upon himself as our substitute should have been us but he stood in our place and our sins were laid on him Isaiah 53 all we like sheep have gone astray we've turned everyone to our own way done our own thing and the Lord has laid on him the suffering servant the Lord Jesus the iniquity the rebellion of us all He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment due to us was upon him and by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. And I would encourage him to read that 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah that spells out prophetically 700 years before the time of Christ what the Lord Jesus would do hundreds of years after This prophecy of Isaiah that's amazing that's why I would reinforce the fact that the Bible is God's book it's supernatural only in the Bible do you read history before it happens and that's what you're reading in Isaiah 53 the cross was no accident it was the plan of God from all eternity and I would spell that out as does the Bible and as does the confession of faith I would say don't believe new stuff. <laughs> the Bible is god's inspired inerrant and authoritative word, the sole infallible rule of faith for all teaching or practice, and God has also very graciously through the centuries given gifts to men. The ascended Christ ephesians four spells out, has given gifts to men, and these are godly men and women through the centuries who have held to the historic creeds and confessions of the church these creeds these confessions are short precise formal summaries of essential or very very important biblical doctrines and i would uh, walk him through the, the those creeds the apostles creed the nicene creed the athanasian creed as well as as i've put in his hand the second london baptist confession of faith of 1689 i once wrote this contrary to the notion that a confession of faith supplants the authority of the bible the very first article in our confession upholds the supremacy of the god breathed scriptures over all other doctrine and tradition the bible alone is the word of god every article that follows in the confession flows out of this premise and conviction amen to that uh, robert schindler march 1887 in a magazine a publication called sword and trowel said this wrote this the content of the christian faith does not continually change that which is true is not new and that which is new is not true actually carl uh, truman said this there is only really two types of christians those who are honest about the fact they have a creed and those who deny they have a creed yet possess one nonetheless we could talk a lot about that but we've got just about an hour before his flight leaves and so we have to move on i would talk about the wonderful trinity i would talk about the person of jesus christ but i would also make sure he understood the gospel i wrote a little tract called the trial let me walk uh, you through it as i would tony it's uh, about the fact that we are sinners before a holy god and what god has done for us in the gospel let me just read at least a portion of it the case of god the father against and then i would say tony me john fill in your name at the end of that sentence the case of god the father against john samson tony all of us prosecuting attorney satan the accuser of the brethren defense attorney the lord jesus christ the judge presiding god the righteous judge in attendance a vast company of elect angels scripture says this is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment you now stand before God the righteous judge faced with the charge of great and terrible acts of high treason in the courtroom of heaven Gabriel the high-ranking angel addresses the court saying all rise the righteous judge is coming into his chamber The judge declares his court to now be in session and asks for all to be seated. Without any delay, Satan stands up and addresses the court. He states that the record will show that you have broken all ten of the Ten Commandments. On countless occasions, you've lied, you've stolen, you've used God's name in vain, you've hated which Jesus said was murder of the heart, and you haven't put God first before anything else in your life, just to name a few. Satan will prove your guilt on all counts. Also, there is indisputable video evidence as well as reliable witnesses to attest to the facts in this case. Even your thought life stands as testimony against you. For the Scripture says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. After the case is made against you, there's a hush in the court. The, the prosecuting attorney has shown that you have indeed committed acts of high treason against God. It seems inevitable that you'll be found guilty. Satan then addresses the judge and says, a good God must be a good judge. The facts are clear. You must find this one guilty. Your own record in Proverbs 17:15 states, "He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord." For you to acquit this one would mean that you are not righteous yourself you must find this one guilty as charged i rest my case the judge then calls upon your defense attorney to address the court the lord jesus christ says this righteous father the case made by the prosecution is indeed true i will not dispute The charge is made. However, I will submit to this court two pieces of evidence in the defense of my client. Exhibit A, the passive obedience of Christ. Let the record show that on Calvary's cross, the sins of this one was transferred to me and I bore the full punishment demanded by your high and holy justice. I was wounded for his transgressions bruised for his iniquities the chastisement that brought him peace was upon me and by my stripes he was healed isaiah 53 4-6 exhibit b the active obedience of christ let the record show that i the second person of the adorable trinity became a man was born of a virgin and lived a righteous life on earth, always pleasing you, righteous Father, I live the life you demanded in your high and holy law. Just as this one's sins were transferred to me on the cross, and I suffered the penalty due to him in his place, so also all the acts of my righteous life were transferred to his account second Corinthians 5 21 for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God righteous father if you will check the record you will see that this man's sins have been paid in full and in fact the only record concerning this man now is that he lived my life for my life was imputed To his account legally and at your good pleasure for it was decreed that this should happen in the eternal council of the divine trinity before the foundation of the world god the judge now addresses the court having checked the eternal records and the validity of exhibits a and b the case made by the defense is both true and satisfactory in this court for the purpose of dismissing all charges made against this man would the accused please stand in that my son has borne your punishment in full and has imputed his righteous life to your account i declare you not guilty but more than that, righteous in the splendid righteousness of my son. I can do this because my wrath due to you was borne by my son. He has paid for your sins in full. You are justified in my sight. Forever I am at peace with you. Your sins I will remember no more by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I hope you understand and have followed that because it's a glorious recollection of what the gospel is. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 declares this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Through our Lord Jesus Christ note the tenses the believer can say that justification is a past tense event it has happened the court has had the session and you've been declared not guilty and even righteous because of the Lord Jesus Christ therefore since we have been justified by faith past tense we have present tense peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ this peace is not like some temporary ceasefire you understand that in the Middle East when there's war if there's an agreement to have a ceasefire all it means is the guns and the Rockets won't be going off for the next 48 hours or so it's a temporary ceasefire that's not what's in view This peace is a certain, settled, eternal peace. The war is over. Praise the Lord. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our salvation depends on the person and the work of Jesus plus nothing. He did it all. He paid it all. He's the Savior. If salvation depends even a little bit on the believers works our salvation is only as secure as our faithfulness but justification is a legal word from the courtroom and for the believer in christ it's a past tense event through the person and through the work of the lord jesus christ alone justified means not merely just as if i'd never sinned but just as if i'd always obeyed praise the lord this peace is the eternal immutable irrevocable standing of the believer with his god john three sixteen, for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I would so want Tony to know this and be grounded in this. In the track they go on to say this, while this entire courtroom scenario is a certain expectation for those who repent and trust in Christ, it must be said that rejecting God's free gift of salvation will result in something entirely different, horribly different. In fact, one that provides no defense attorney in the court whatsoever, but instead the full bearing of the punishment of your crimes against God in hell forever. The same chapter of John 3 that gives us verse 16, gives us verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of of God remains on him. Romans chapter 5, we've read verse 1. And this chapter also outlines what it is we're saved from. And I would say to Tony the Lord Jesus Christ rescues us from the greatest calamity, He rescues us because we needed rescue. And it was the Father's plan to send the Son to rescue us. Verse 6 of Romans 5, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Do you qualify, Tony? I know I do. Ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by His blood, that speaks of the death of Christ for us, declared right by God, that's what justified means. Since we've now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. There it is. That's what we're saved from. The ultimate salvation is to be rescued from the ultimate calamity. And that is facing God without a Savior. And the wrath of God being upon us for eternity. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Tony, because of Jesus and your faith in Him, because of what Jesus did for sinners, His death for us and His righteous life counting for us, we are declared just righteous in His sight now and forever, and we are saved and rescued from the wrath of God first thessalonians chapter 1 brings this truth out also it says in verse 9 first thessalonians 1 for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to god from idols to serve the living and true god and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come you see that's the greatest calamity this is not to be rescued from a poor self-image or a purposeless life to want a fulfillment that can be a side benefit but it's not central in salvation what is central is the work of jesus christ on the cross to save us from our sins and the wrath we deserve because of our sins We must get that right. And Tony, you've got a Bible and it will tell you this over and over and over again. I would warn you, Tony, about cults, Christian cults that distort who God is and what the gospel is. We must get the gospel right and then we must get it out. The Trinity is... A mysterious concept but it's not a man-made concept the cults will tell you the trinity is not a word even found in the bible well i would reply to that do you know the word bibles not in the bible not in the original hebrew or greek it's stamped on the front of a bible or put before the book of genesis in our bible holy bible but you won't find the word bible in the original text (laughs) So just to say, well, you don't find the word Trinity. Well, you don't find the word Bible either. You don't find the word Trinity in the Bible. Well, you don't find the word Bible in the Bible. But you get the concept of Bible by means of these are the inspired books that God, by the Holy Spirit, has authored through the hands of men. God used Moses and david and the inspired writers to write scripture but they were carried along by the holy spirit second peter chapter 1 tells us the trinity is a mystery more than my mind can handle way way more but here's what we know there is one god and yet three divine persons father son and holy spirit the father's not the son the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. All three members of the Godhead possess the attributes of personality. Do you remember in the garden, the Lord Jesus prayed, Not my will, but yours, Father, be done. This speaks of yet another mystery. Christ is one person with two natures, one being truly human, the other being truly divine. At Gethsemane, Jesus prayed as the God-man, his human will wishing to avoid the agonies of the cross and all that this would mean in terms of the Father's wrath being poured out on him. This cup, let it pass from from me if it is in any way possible. This cup, as he called it, yet he submitted himself to the will of the Father. The, The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one in mission never in opposition. There's never opposition of will between the members of the Trinity. There's never been a single argument between them. They are forever united in what they intend to do and from eternity have acted in complete unity always, even as they have distinct roles to carry out for the purpose of our redemption. You see, it's the Father who sends the Son into the world. The Son lives and then dies for us. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, applies the work of redemption to those God elected and the Son died for. This, this is amazing beyond words. Beyond the boundaries of what we find in God's revelation of himself in Scripture, there's only speculation and the treacherous fall off the cliff of right teaching, orthodoxy, into heresy and damnation. As one man said, John Calvin, where God closes his holy mouth, I will desist from inquiry. That's where our speculation should end, where God closes his mouth and doesn't say anything about a topic. We stop where God stops. So to understand the Trinity is to have the mind boggled i don't think anyone fully can grasp the mystery of the trinity but here's what we know he is one in essence there's only one god yet there are three persons might be helpful to speak of one what and three who's one what and three who's but even then it's a fathomless mystery but it's not a contradiction He's not one watt and three watts. He's one watt, one in essence, and three in persons. And we are to stand in awe of this God and find boundless joy and delight in all that he is as our glorious triune God. And this we will do for eternity. There are many scriptures that speak of God being one, one God who's eternal and immutable. That means unchanging. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Shema of Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I change not. There is one God. Secondly, there are three eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, these persons are never identified with each other. They're carefully differentiated as divine persons. As I've said, the Father's not the Son, nor the Son the Holy Spirit, nor is the Holy Spirit the Father. But the third plank is this the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are identified as being full deity. The Bible teaches the Godhood of the Father, the deity of the Father, the deity of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the deity of the Holy Spirit. There's one God, three persons, and you've got to know that. God is awesome, desirable, life-giving, Precisely because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, <laughs> what a God he is. And this is the God that we now enjoy right relationship with. I would say to Tony, all right, time's l- looking on. It's, it's only a few more minutes before you leave, but let me tell you something else you must know. This way of salvation can be summed up in what is called the five solas of the Reformation. It's scripture that brings us to that conclusion. Once we understand that scripture, the Bible alone, is the Word of God, when we understand it's the soul, S O L E, the only written divine revelation. And alone has the authority to bind the conscience of the believer. Absolutely. Once we have that as our starting point, what flows out of that are the other solas. There are five. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Gratia, Grace alone. And that refers to the fact that our salvation rests completely, solely, on the work of God's grace for us. And because of this human boasting is not merely discouraged or kept to a minimum but it's excluded completely tony let's go to ephesians chapter 2 8 and 9 there we read amazing words man has always thought that he has to bring something to the table of redemption i have to bring something of my performance right uh, no All that we have brought to the table is the sin that made the sacrifice of Christ necessary. There are none that do good, no, not one. That's Paul writing in Romans chapter 3 and he's actually quoting the Old Testament. From first to last, all through our Bibles, we never get to God by what we do. Nor do we get to God by faith plus our obedience. It's justification by faith alone that's central to the heart of the gospel and it's based on the grace of god alone ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 paul writes this and this is the word of god tony for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast If works that's the things that we do if works play any part in our justification in our salvation then we would have reason to boast I'm here because I did this I'm here because I did that but no the song of heaven is the song of the redeemed and the only song on the lips is worthy is the lamb who was slain for he redeemed us by his blood never is there a second verse that says oh and of course what we brought to the table as well a bit of the glory goes to us no we boast only in the cross we boast only in the savior who died for us on the cross christ crucified so boasting human boasting isn't just merely kept to a minimum. It's completely excluded. Salvation is of the Lord. Jesus Christ is our sin bearer and our righteousness. Sola fide, the third solar, means faith alone. And justification is by faith alone. Romans 3:28, Romans 4, 4 and 5. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, many other scriptures. Faith is the sole ground of our acceptance with God by which our sins are remitted and imputed to Christ and the merit of Christ's righteousness is imputed, counted to us. Solus Christus, Christ alone. This is the message that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only mediator Through whose work we are redeemed. It's not grace plus human merit, it's not faith plus works. No, on the sure foundation of Scripture alone, we declare that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, all to the glory of God alone. And that in fact is the fifth sola, solely deo gloria to god alone belongs the glory now every solar is vital but those first four solas really exist to preserve the last one namely the glory of god we're declaring god's authority by sola scriptura noting that only his word only the inspired god-breathed scripture can command us and bind our conscience, absolutely. But the other solas, sola fide, solus Christus, and sola, sola gratia, all exalt God's glory and salvation because God and God alone, through his son, the Lord Jesus saves his people from sin and death. Tony, be rooted in this. This is so vital. And then i would talk to tony about the fact that it's foreign as dr kim riddlebarger said it's foreign to the new testament to have someone professing faith in christ and not be a member of a local church i would turn tony to acts chapter 2 noting that only a few minutes are left before he boards his flight and i would say read acts chapter 2 you'll see a definite sequence can be observed All who repent, all who repented and believed the gospel were then water baptized and in so doing were recognized as full citizens in God's kingdom. And they immediately became active members in the local church. After Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brothers, what what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. They obviously believed the message. Repent and be baptized every one of you. They were, and then they became active members in the local church. Repentance, faith, water, baptism. Baptism doesn't save, but is the command of the Lord to those who are saved. And what it is, is a personal declaration of full identification and complete unity and union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then membership. Believers share a rich spiritual life together as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And the Lord has established the local church as the designated place for each baptized believer to gather together to receive what we call the ordinary means of grace, where the word of God, the gospel is rightly preached and the ordinances of water baptism and the Lord's supper rightly administered. It's the setting for every believer to give And to enjoy christian fellowship and support all in a protected environment under the watchful watchful care of his under shepherds called elders so find a local church if you possibly can even though you might be in a remote place for anyone else who's in a city or a town with a bible believing gospel preaching church find a church closest to the bible as paul washer said more than church nearest to your house. Good advice. Don't look for the nearest church to your house, he said. Find the church closest to the Bible. Spurgeon said this. The church is not an institution for perfect people. It's a sanctuary for sinners, saved by grace, a nursery for God's sweet children to be nurtured and grow strong. It's the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. The church is the dearest place on earth praise the lord well we've said a lot but then i would just come back to the gospel and remind him god demands 100 percent perfect flawless obedience if you can't do that find someone who can do it for you that's the message of grace in the person of jesus christ he lived the life we should have lived died the death we should have died And by believing on him his death counts for us and his life counts for us justification we've got to be clear on that sanctification is the ongoing life of the christian becoming more and more like christ over time but justification is not probation you know what probation is when someone's on probation they're released from prison they're released from the jail but authorities are watching and if they violate the terms of their probation they're back in jail again back in prison again that's not what justification is it's a declaration that forever the believer in Christ is right with God now and forever sanctification that's the ongoing life of the Christian it takes a church to raise a Christian it's a sanctification project and it's a community project but remember this though justification and sanctification can be distinguished they should be they're not to be separated the person who trusts in Jesus will experience change they will want because God has given them a new heart, to be under the Bible, under the Lordship of Jesus, wanting to know what his will is and follow it. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? Many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all this in your name? He'll say, I never knew you. It's not about mere profession of faith, that saves it's the possession of true faith a faith which acknowledges that jesus died and rose again and is the savior of the world it's believing that knowing the facts and believing those facts and then committing to christ in trust and faith it's like having a chair you can see a chair you can believe that should someone sit in it they would be held up and not fall through the springs onto the floor you can see it's a chair acknowledge it's a chair believe that it will function as a chair and those are two components of genuine faith but there is a third and that's sitting in the chair true faith believes the information has the information one believes the information two And then trusts christ and sits in the chair true faith repents turns away from all they know to be wrong and trusts in the savior god justifies the one who has faith in jesus plus nothing and god will not renegotiate your justification for anything and your justification is not based on your sanctification. There should be some evidence that you are a saved person. You have a new desire. You want to do his will. You stumble, you fall. That's what Romans 7 is all about. The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that I do. That is evidence of the fact. That you are now a christian you love the law of god you want to do the will of god i don't believe that could be true of anyone without a regenerated alive heart they know the law of god and they want to do it but before we die and go to be with jesus we still have a sin nature with us in our body called the flesh that wants something other than god's will that is still present with us And that's the war of the Christian life, not to live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has come on the inside of the Christian with new desires, fervent, strong desires. And those desires are stoked and helped by the ordinary means of grace in the life of the church. And central to all of that is the Lord's Day. Uh, That is central in the life of any believer where in a divine service orchestrated by the commands of Scripture, He calls us to worship. We worship Him with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We hear the Word of God. We hear it preached rightly. We hear it by means of verse by verse exposition of the word of God and we sit under that word week by week by week by week and it's so ordinary we call it the ordinary means but don't mistake that to be less than supernatural it's a supernatural thing whereby God whereby Christ feeds and nurtures and protects his sheep in that fold under the care, the watchful care of elders who are not better than anyone else. They're simply called to oversee the work of God as shepherds, under shepherds, under the great shepherd of the sheep. Think of it from God's perspective. He does not want a lone sheep all by itself. That is to put him out to be the prey of wolves. No, under the watchful care of elders when it's done right it's protection for the sheep and beyond the protection of the physical Shepherd is the protection of the great Shepherd of the Sheep the true God true man Lord Jesus Christ and it's his church and when God makes the Christian he does not leave them in isolation but as we saw in Acts 2 makes them a visible member of the local church where they love and serve God so I want to encourage you as you continue in your faith recognize these things live in the good of them and Tony as you board your plane read your Bible love God with all your heart soul mind and strength check out your convictions by means of a Good confession of faith you have that now in your hands study to show yourself approved to god love your man may god bless your life and for all who hear this message too may god bless your life as you live in the good of what the word of god reveals to us god is good may you and i follow him believing in the true god And embracing the true gospel, let's get it right. And let's always, under God, get it out. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be ours in full measure. May we know him and make him known. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.